Welcome to the Shari Tzedek Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here you'll find a live recording of just about every sermon, Devar Torah, teaching, or story from our Arab Shabbat and High Holy Day services. We know that you wish you could be with us more often, and we understand life getting in the way is not a bad thing. To live Jewishly is to understand that just as important as it is that Judaism happens in the synagogue, it's even more important to live Jewishly in your home and on your way. So here we are, in your home, on your way, maybe even on your morning run. If you ever have any questions or want to continue the discussion, let one of us know, and make sure you check out our live stream and YouTube channel for more ways that Shari Tzedek is available to you on demand. Keep an eye on your shofar and email so that when you're able, you can be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Well, we never want to condone a stereotype. But when it comes to that one about Jews complaining, we have to blame the Torah at least a little bit for that one. And those of you who've been with me every week, you know we've, we've been on this theme for a while. Right? Immediately after being freed from slavery back in the book of Exodus, upon reaching the Red Sea, we read that the Israelites complained right away, right away. They complained that God had freed us just so we could die at the shores of the sea. And after crossing the miraculously split Red Sea, we complained that our drinking water was too bitter. Then we complained about a lack of food. Then we complained about the kind of food and then about lack of water again. Each complaint was, let, was met by a miracle, but each complaint was followed by more complaining. Now, uh, in the book of Numbers, approaching the end of our time in the wilderness, the Israelites complain again. This week's Torah portion begins with the people complaining, why did you bring us out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched place, a place without grain or fig or pomegranates. There's not even water to drink. And yes, we complained about pomegranates before water. This was when Moses hit the rock twice rather than speaking to it as he was commanded, resulting in Moses' punishment that he would not be able to enter the promised land. But the people didn't stop there. After miraculously receiving water from a rock for a second time, we're not done complaining. Still in this week's Torah portion, we read, But the people grew restive on the journey, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why did you make us leave Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread and no water, and we've come to loathe this miserable food. Now God's reaction is different. Still, this is the text. God sent serpents against the people. They bit the people, and many of the Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Please intercede with God to take away the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then God said to Moses, Make a serpent figure and mount it to a standard like a flag. And if anyone who is bitten looks at this serpent, he shall recover. Moses made a copper serpent as God had commanded, mounted it on a standard. And when anyone was bitten by one of the other serpents, they would look at the copper serpent and recover. 
This is one you probably didn't learn about in Sunday school. After all, magical healing snakes don't make much sense to us today. Although after a week in which healthcare was in the news again, wouldn't it be nice if we had a magical serpent statue that could heal all of our ailments? It turns out that the earliest of rabbis were as confused by this as we might be. And seeing as this serpent seems to be awfully close to an idol, and it will actually be used as an idol 500 years later during the reign of King Hezekiah. We read about it again in the book of 2 Kings where Hezekiah will have the serpent destroyed because people were offering sacrifices to it. We can understand why the rabbis might try to shift the way we look at it. So what do they do to this strange piece of Torah? In the Mishnah, we read that the serpent wasn't what actually healed the people. But rather, when they saw the statue, the people's thoughts were directed toward God as they looked up, causing them to pray for healing. And the Zohar, a mystical medieval book, looks at it just a little different, saying that when the people looked at the serpent, they were reminded of their sin, which led them to tshuva, to repentance, that allowed for their healing. Now, we'll come back to our serpent in a little bit. But as I shared at the beginning of our service, we're joined by several couples this evening who are either recently married or engaged or getting ready to be married. And many of these couples have spent a significant portion of their learning how to live with each other, spending a significant amount of time together over the past 16 months. I've heard each of them Uh, talking with each of them, learning from each of them, and they've all done a tremendous job of communicating with each other over those 16 months. But we know that that's not always the case. There is an allegory that is included in the wedding packet that I give to every couple I work with. It's a story that I borrowed from Rabbi Bernholtz, who originally borrowed it from Rabbi Harry Danziger, who borrowed it from Rabbi Stephen Pierce. How's that for a Talmudic citation? And while I know every couple who's here tonight read their packet cover to cover and remembers every single word in it, I'm still going to catch the rest of you up now. The story is about a couple who had lived in their home for years. And one day a sapling, a baby tree, began growing in their living room. They each simply walked around the sapling, never saying anything about it. The sapling grew, becoming a small tree with leaves and branches, and the couple kept simply avoiding it, widening their path as they walked through the room. The trunk thickened and the branches grew larger, and the couple would even stop and pick up the leaves that had fallen off of the branches. Finally, the tree grew so large they couldn't even walk through the room. At which point one said to the other, and we won't say which is which, but one finally said, we have a tree growing in our living room, and I'm kind of tired of trying to live around it. The other responded, why didn't you ever mention it before now? I'm tired of this tree as well. The next day they had the tree removed, and from that point forward, whenever a new sapling would begin to grow in their living room or any other room, they would pull it out by its tiny root, 
before it had a chance to become a tree. The story is simple, but it reminds us that acknowledging that a problem exists is the first step to being able to solve it. Once we've acknowledged that elephant in the room, or I guess the tree in the room, then we can figure out how to get rid of it and keep similar issues from sprouting up in the future. Too often we have problems that could be easily solved, but we wait so long to talk about them or even to acknowledge that they exist that the solution becomes much more difficult. And this is all true, by the way, not only for new couples, but for veteran couples, for those who are living alone, just as it's not only true in a home, but in a place of work or in a friendship or in a larger community, a city, a state, or a nation, or a world. In so many environments, we find that while it's much easier to pretend a problem doesn't exist than it is to work toward its solution, the result of ignoring it can often be dire. So now we return to our Torah portion. And the amazing thing about this serpent is that each individual had to look at it in order for the healing to work. With a literal serpent in the room, the people couldn't just pretend that everything was okay. And whether it caused them to look to the heavens, as the Mishnah said, or to think about their sins, as the Zohar taught, or simply miraculously healed them, as the text reads in its literal form, in order to fix the problem, they had to look and see that there was a problem. Now, our, our understanding can go even further. I think we can learn even more from this section of our Torah. When Moses pleaded with God for help, God didn't take the serpents away, but rather gave a way in which to deal with their effects. Once we've acknowledged the issue, the solution is usually not as simple as calling a tree removal service. The problem doesn't just go away once we see it. But seeing the issue gives us the opportunity to work toward a solution. And working toward a solution means seeing our own role in the problem. Remember, the Zohar's interpretation was that the serpent caused each individual to think about their sin and to repent. The problem with the Israelites and their continued complaining is that time after time they blamed Moses, they blamed God, but they failed to see their own role in their problems. And then time after time, they failed to learn from their mistakes and kept repeating them. The miracles of their new free life were always around them, but too often they chose to see what was wrong rather than what was right. In our allegory, it would have been easy for either member of the couple to blame the other for their role in causing or ignoring the tree rather than admitting their own contributions to their current situation. But teshuva, repentance, means learning from our mistakes, promising to try to do better and not make the same mistake again. There are always going to be serpents biting at our ankles and trees growing in our living rooms. That's called life. But rather than ignoring them or complaining about them, 
I pray that we will all learn from the Israelites' mistakes and our past ones as well. I pray that each of us in all aspects of our lives are able to see problems when they arise, to acknowledge our individual role in them, and to find ourselves inspired to do all that we can to learn from them, to move forward, and to keep them from ruining those things that are most holy in each of our lives. Next week's Torah portion, Balak, will tell the story of the prophet Balaam. Balaam was sent to curse the Israelites, but in the end, he blessed them instead. Through our acknowledgement of the problems around us and our commitment to working towards solving them, may we turn all of the potential curses in our lives into the blessings that are a stronger relationship a healthier home, and one day we pray a world of peace. Kenyehi Ratzon, may this be God's will.